Will you pray with me? Father, open my mouth. Open our ears. Open our hearts so that your spirit can expose your word to us in a way that we can not only understand but also apply. For it's in Jesus' mighty name, he who is our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. One of the things that we sometimes forget, and most of our unsaved, unchurched friends don't really understand about the Bible, is that it is a extremely unique book. And that doesn't just occur with people in the Islamic world or the Hindu world or the Buddhist world. Right here in good old USA, there are so many people who do not understand that the Bible at its core is a storybook. And I don't mean by that that it's fables or tales, but God reveals himself and his character not through laying out pages and pages and pages of doctrinal principles. He does it by telling stories. Everything from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem at the end of Revelation, it is one ongoing story through which he teaches us about himself. Some of them are like novels. Others are like O. Henry short stories with irony and twists. Some are songs. And some of them are like a stage play. And today and next Sunday, we're going to be spending two weeks looking at a four-act play that we call the Book of Ruth. And I hope that as we are going through and exposing God's Word to our hearts, that you will almost see it as if it were being played out on a stage down at the Capitol Theater or somewhere over in St. Louis. And think about the characters and the way that they're presented. We're going to look primarily Acts 2 and 3 because that's where most of the action takes place. But let me just start by giving you a quick overview of Act 1. In Act 1, we're introduced to two characters. It appears that the main character is a widow woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech. And she and her husband, along with their two sons, left Israel during a time of famine, probably a time when God was disciplining his people during the time of the judges because they had turned away from him. And they left Israel. Rather than staying there with their people, they abandoned their God, they abandoned their people, and went to, of all places, Moab. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, you probably at least know that the name Moab is a name that is not a good one, okay? It goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. And the Moabites had been cursed by God because of their refusal to help the Israelites when they were wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And that's where Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilian, end up. And while they're there, Elimelech dies. And Naomi is left with her two sons. And rather than going back to Israel and finding good Israelite girls to marry, her two sons marry Moabites. What could be worse than for an Israelite young man to marry a woman who is the very sworn enemy of God. Well, and then the two boys die. And again, we don't know if it was God's punishment on them. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we have now is we have three women, all of whom are widows. One of Naomi's daughters-in-law decides to stay in Moab, go back to her family, hopefully be able to find a good Moabite husband and get on with her life. The other one, whose name is Ruth, has seen something in that family and has learned from their conversation something about the God of Israel. 
And she goes against all logic, leaves her home, leaves her family, leaves her own gods to go back to Israel with Naomi because they have heard that now the famine is over and God has blessed his people. And so she abandons all that she knows, just like Abraham did centuries ago, to go to a place and to a God that she doesn't even really know yet. And that is act one. The curtain comes down, rises up, and we come to act two. And the very first scene has now shifted to Bethlehem, the place where Naomi was from, and her daughter-in-law Ruth, this Moabite, and the scene opens in the last verse of chapter one. And it says there, Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, like any good play, you know that when you watch a play, you see the action going on on the stage, but there's always layers of things going on beneath the scene. Beneath the action that you can see, there are other things happening. And we begin to get the first hint of that in that very last phrase of verse 22. When it says that they arrived in Bethlehem, hmm, coincidentally, at the beginning of the barley harvest. They could have gotten there in the middle of the summer. They could have gotten there in the early fall before winter would come up. But it just so happened that they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest, which meant they could go out and scavenge around for the droppings of the harvesters and maybe find enough food to get them from one day to the next, to the next, to the next. Because after the barley harvest came the wheat harvest. So they had about eight weeks in there that they could hopefully gather enough grain to maybe just barely survive. They had no one to rely on but themselves. And so in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're introduced now to a new character. And this is one of those things that happens so often in a play. We learn something that the actors don't know. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. So now we have a new character, Boaz. Have no idea what role he's going to play. We just know there's another character, a hero to our play that we're going to see somewhere down the line. So that sets the scene for us. Scene one, act two, set the stage. Bethlehem, barley harvest, and a new character. Then we get to scene two. The lights come up and Ruth the Moabitess asks Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? And Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth decides, Naomi is so distressed by their situation, by their condition. We learned at the end of chapter one, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. She was bitter, she was sad, she was heartbroken over the fact that she now was left with no one to help her except a Moabite daughter-in-law. But Ruth says, I got to do something or we're going to starve to death. So she goes to her mother-in-law and says, even though I'm a foreigner, will you let me go and see if I can find a place where I can just gather a few scraps of barley, put them in my bag, bring them home so we at least can make a little bit of barley bread so we don't starve to death. And Naomi is so distraught, all she can say in the Hebrew is two words. We translate it in English, it's four words, but it's go ahead, my daughter. That's all she can say to her. So what does Ruth do? Verse 3, she left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And it just so happened, hmm, coincidentally, that she was in the portion of land belonging to who? To Boaz, 
who is from Elimelech's family. So Ruth takes the initiative. She kind of becomes our main heroine. We thought it was going to be Naomi when we read chapter 1. But actually now we realize that Ruth is going to play a primary role in the story. And she takes the initiative to go and look for a place where she could find some people that would allow her, a foreigner, a young woman, by herself, to gather up some scraps of grain. And it just so happens that all the fields that she could have gone to, she happens to land at the field of Boaz. Now the lights go down, and they come back up on the stage, and they're all out there working in the field, and in walks the hero of our story. Verse 4. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you, they replied. Now, I have to stop right there and tell you that you know that I love the Holman translation. We use it in our Bible study. We use it here in worship. But there's times when there are other translations that do a better job with a verse than, our, than, 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 than this translation. And one of them is this verse right here. When you read verse 4 in the Holman, it sounds like, oh yeah, and then later on, Boaz showed up. That is not the way it's presented in the Hebrew at all. It is like, wouldn't you know it, in walks Boaz totally unannounced, totally unprepared. The landowner often would go weeks without coming out to the field. We learned back up there in verse 1 that he was a prominent man of noble character, which means he probably had all kinds of business to do in town. But it just so happened hmm, that he ends up out there in his field to check on his workers. Isn't that a funny coincidence? Just so happened that Naomi and Ruth showed up in Bethlehem at just the time of the beginning of the barley harvest, the very beginning of the harvest days. Just so happens of all the fields she could have landed in, she lands in Boaz, and just so happens that Boaz shows up unannounced and unexpected and greets his workers with the most unlikely greeting that you can imagine. Normally a landowner would be more businesslike, not quite so friendly, but not Boaz. Boaz is a man full of grace, and he welcomes them and says, the Lord be with you. And then in verse 5, he asks his servant, who is in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? He doesn't say who is she. It's, who does she belong to? Who is this girl? And the servant replies, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Doesn't even say her name, but he identifies she belongs to. To Naomi. Now you got to remember Bethlehem was not a huge city. It was a fairly small town, maybe not much bigger than Hecker. Everybody knew everybody in Bethlehem. And so when he said to Boaz, this is the young Moabite girl that came back from Moab with Naomi, Boaz immediately knew who she was and what about her. And then he goes on and says, she asked very politely, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came. She's remained from early morning until now, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Now, this is the first of three interchanges that happen in this scene. The first one here between Boaz and the workers identifies now who our main characters are. We have Boaz, this prominent, godly, righteous man, and we have Ruth, this young, struggling, Moabite young woman. And now they're there on the stage and we know who she is. He knows who she is. She still has no idea who he is other than he probably looks pretty prominent. He must be the landowner. Now look what happens next in the second interchange. Now Boaz begins talking to Ruth and says in verse 8, listen, my daughter. Stop right there. Listen, my daughter. Boaz is a prominent Jewish Israelite 
Ruth is a despised Moabite. And yet, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy, he calls her my daughter. That was not being paternalistic. That was a heart of love that understands that God loves the outcast, that God loves the one that is struggling. And so he greets her with a most unusual greeting. It had to have shocked Ruth. And he goes on to say, don't go and gather grain in another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my young women. That word close is the same word that was used in Genesis about a man will cling to his wife. Stay close to them. Stay right by their side. Don't go wandering off anywhere else. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars that the young men have filled. Huh. Stay close to the young women. Don't go anywhere else. And by the way, if any of you want to know when there was the first anti-sexual harassment policy on the workplace, it's right here in Ruth chapter 2. Boaz established this standard. He said, I've told my young men, do not harass this young woman. Do not bother her while she's working in the field. I don't want to go too far down that road, but you can just imagine how a young Moabite, what recourse would she have? They could have done anything with her that they wanted. They could have thrown her out. They could have beaten her up. They could have assaulted her. They could have molested her. And she would have had nowhere to go, no one to, 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 to go to for justice. So Boaz stands up and says, do not touch this girl. And then he says to her, by the way, you know the water that they bring out from town every day to the field to work? If you're thirsty, you don't have to go back. Even though you're not one of our workers, you're welcome to drink from the water. And Ruth responds to him by bowing with her face to the ground. She's not worshiping him. She's showing respect and says to him, why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? She said, why would you pay attention to me? I'm not ethnically an Israelite. Why would you pay attention to me? And he says to her, in verse 11, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. He says, I've heard about you. I see what you've done. I know how you've taken care of your mother-in-law. When you didn't have to do that, you could have stayed home, found a new husband, lived the life of a Moabite, but instead you came to Israel. And then he says in verse 12, May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel. And this beautiful phrase, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You see, Boaz recognized that in Ruth's coming back to Israel, this wasn't just because she had anything to gain. What had she to gain in Israel? Her family, her relatives, all of her resources were in Moab. She had nothing to gain from staying there. And yet, she had said back in chapter 1 to Naomi, your God will be my God. In essence, she was doing the very same thing that Rahab had done. Remember Rahab of Jericho fame? That had hid the, hidden the, the spies and said, I know now that the God of Israel is the true God. And Ruth had done the same thing. And Boaz recognized that and, she, and he said to her, may the Lord reward you because you have sought refuge under his wings but what's so interesting is that the wing that God is using to cover her is none other than Boaz himself Boaz becomes the instrument the tool the wing as it were of God to protect 
this young woman who has run to him for refuge, who has sought refuge in the God of Israel. And she responds in verse 13, my Lord, you have been so kind to me for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I am not like one of your female servants. Now she's not talking so much about ethnicity as she is about class. She says, listen, I am lower than the lowest of your female slaves, your female servants. And yet you have shown me this wonderful grace. You have encouraged me. You have been kind to me. You have shown me that wonderful Old Testament Hebrew word, chesed. Chesed is more than just love. It is more than just kindness. It is a committed, faithful mercy and compassion and tenderness and grace that is ultimately seen in God himself. God is the God of chesed. That's why at the end of Psalm 23 it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That goodness is that loving covenant care that God gives to his people. And then he goes back, Boaz does, to the workers in verse 15. Well, actually, let me stop first and finish up with verse 14 real quick because it says, later on at mealtime, Boaz said, come and have some bread and dip it into the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and even had some leftover. Great word there. It says, he with his own hand gave her food. Just more showing his grace for her. So when she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, in verse 15, be sure to let her gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks in the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather and don't rebuke her. <sighs> wow. You see, what the playwright has done here is given us a chance to get a picture of who Boaz really is. Boaz sees this young woman and even though she's a Moabite, he knows what she's done. She's abandoned her family, her gods, to come to Israel. And he said, I am going to do what God would do. And by the way, one of Boaz's um, offspring, a few generations later, a guy by the name of Solomon, talks about that. Let me just read for you. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13, it says, even the person who cares for the poor is honoring the Lord. You see, Boaz wanted to honor God, and he knew the best way to do that was by honoring the poor, honoring those that were in need. So, the lights go down as Boaz walks out of the field. Naomi, with a smile of peace on her face, is gathering the leftovers and they're even throwing bits behind them as they cut the grain. They'll throw a handful behind them every now and then just to help her out. And then scene four comes up and we see the results. And that starts in verse 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. Now, I was going to bring a five-gallon bucket with me and just remind us what a five-gallon bucket looks like because... The word that's actually used in the Hebrew, the omer, was basically about six gallons worth of seed. Now think about that, six gallons worth of harvested barley seed. Not all the stalks and stuff, it says that she beat it out and she came up with six gallons, 50 pounds worth of barley seed in one day. Now that's not so much a testimony to her hard work, although she was a very hard worker, obviously. I think what the playwright's trying to help us to see is the generosity of Boaz. 
that she had enough grain to last them easily for a month in one day. So it says in verse 18, she picked up the grain, went into the city where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she also brought out what she had left over from her meal. Remember it said that she had enough lunch, that she had enough to bring home with her and gave it to her. Verse 19, then her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Now we can feel this coming, can't we? We're almost to the end of the act. Ruth has come back, her face is aglow. Her mother-in-law is shocked. Where did you go? She asked. And in the end of verse 19, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And it's so interesting, even in the Hebrew, Boaz's name is the very last word of the sentence. Almost like he's dragging it out and you're just waiting for her to say it. You're, tell her, tell her, tell her it was Boaz. And she does. She says, the man who helped me was Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Interesting phrase, interesting sentence. May, the, may he be blessed, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Well, who is the he of his kindness? Well, partly it was Boaz. Boaz had been gracious and kind to this young woman and her mother-in-law. He had shown kindness not only to Naomi, but also to his dead relative, Elimelech. But I really believe that behind Boaz, there's someone else that she is giving thanks to, and that is the God of chesed, the God of faithful love. She's saying, in essence, I look through Boaz, like that window we talked about a few weeks ago. I look through Boaz, and I see God behind him and it's God who is looking after the living and the dead and then she tells Ruth Ruth you don't know this my daughter but the man is a close relative he is one of our family redeemers and suddenly Naomi begins to think I wonder why God would lead my Moabite daughter-in-law to the field of one of our kinsmen redeemers. Ruth wants her to know this is not the end of the story. This is not a one-day thing. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabite. It's interesting how the playwright continues to emphasize to us, she's a Moabite, she's a Moabite. Don't forget, she's a Moabite. Ruth the Moabite has said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with, the, with his young women so that nothing will happen to you in another field. And Ruth stayed close to Boaz's young women and gathered grain, listen, until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So eight weeks go by. And she's there every day. Now we don't know that she gathered six gallons of barley every day and six gallons of wheat every day. But if she did, if they were as gracious to her every day as they had been that first day, when she finished that eight weeks, they easily had enough grain to last them the entire rest of the year. Boaz was really, literally, the wing of God to cover these two women and to protect them. So that leads me now, as the curtain closes on Act 2, to analyze and apply what we've seen in this act. 
You see, we have a story here of a young woman who is seeking for something. She's seeking for a way to maintain and sustain her life. All she really wants, she has no hope of a husband. What Israelite would marry a Moabite? She has no hope for any future for herself, any children, any offspring. She just wants someone to show her mercy. And what's so interesting is that even though she didn't pray that, she just said it, God heard it. And so she's looking, she's seeking kindness. But she's not the only person seeking. What about Naomi? Do you think Naomi carried any guilt in her life for having abandoned her people when the famine came? And going to, of all places, Moab? And allowing her sons to marry Moabite women? No wonder she saw herself as being bitter. In her mind, God had punished her, had disciplined her for all of these things that she had done. She also is seeking something, isn't she? She's seeking to find out whether God can forgive her and redeem her. But they're not the only ones seeking. Boaz is seeking as well. Now, think about where we are in the play right now. What is Boaz seeking? He's seeking for a way to honor God. He's seeking ways to be a righteous man and to live in a way that God would be pleased with. I understand that when we say Christian, we're talking about people after the coming of Christ who accepted Christ as their Savior. But if anybody models a Christian life in the Old Testament, it is Boaz. He lives every day to bring God honor and glory. And he is seeking for ways to serve God. But there's one more seeker in the story. And that's God. Now understand, God doesn't seek the way we do. God had not lost anything. God did not know where to find. But God, in his own way, was seeking to show love to these two women. Next week, we're going to do a whole lot more looking at God's role in this, but we already can see it, can't we? Was it a coincidence that they happened to show up right at Barley Harvest? You got to remember, this wasn't in the days like today when you can plan your trip and arrive at a certain time. Those two women almost certainly had to walk from Moab. No doubt along the way, they encountered several obstacles. They had no idea when they would get home may have taken them months to get back. We don't know. But it just so happened that they got there to be in the bar barley harvest. It just so happened that of all the places that they could have landed, that Ruth could have gone to to look for grain, it was the field of Boaz. It just so happened that God had crafted Boaz's life to make him a godly, kind, compassionate man. Why? Because God was seeking Ruth and seeking to show Naomi his love, his chesed, his grace, his mercy. But what about us? What about tomorrow when you head out to work or to school? What about tomorrow when you write out your to-do list and the things you need to get done? How does this apply to you? Maybe you are just seeking for the things you need. Your relationship with God is good. You feel like you're working well with him, you're close to him, but you just are struggling. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your family, and you're just seeking. Let me tell you something. God is working in your life. It may not look that way at the time. It may not look like that tomorrow, but be assured that just like God was working in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, he's working in your life. Maybe you're more like Naomi. Maybe there are things in your life where you've made choices, you've made decisions 
that took you away from God. And now you want to come back to him and you wonder, will he forgive me? Will he redeem me from myself and my sin? Take Naomi's example and look exactly at what God did for her and understand that he will do the same thing for you if you will seek him. Do you remember what it says in the book of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God promises to reward us when we seek his forgiveness and a restoration of our relationship. So if you are away from God today, if you feel distant from him because of decisions you have made, know that God will reward you when you come to him and say, Father, forgive me, restore me, redeem me, help me to be the person that I need to be. You may be like Boaz. Maybe you are a godly, loving follower of Christ and you're saying, Lord, I just want you to give me an opportunity today to serve you by serving someone today. You get up tomorrow morning, you're sitting down with your Wheaties and your grapefruit juice and you're looking right forward to your day and you say, Lord, just give me one person today to serve. Do you think, Mo, do you think Boaz knew that morning that he was going to run to a little Moabite girl who just happened to be the daughter-in-law of the wife of one of his kinsmen? I'm sure he didn't have a clue. But he probably started his day with his prayer saying, Lord, allow me to serve you, to honor you by serving you today. And so tomorrow morning when you get up and you're in sync with God, you say, Lord, help me today. Give me someone that I can serve and in doing so, honor you. You see, wherever you are in your walk, this play, this act has something to say to you. And so my prayer is that as we finish up and you head out, that you will understand that this play is about you. What's going to happen next in the life of Boaz and Ruth? Well, we'll have to wait till next week and find out. But for now, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful play, this story, this romantic drama and the way that you show us and teach us about yourself and about us. Father, all of us are at times a Ruth, at times a Naomi, at times a Boaz. And wherever we are today, whether we are just looking for the temporal needs that we have and we're struggling, we're crying out to you, whether we have sinned against you and we want to come back home and know for surety that you will forgive us, whether we are living in sync with you and just want ways to show you our love and honor you by serving others, wherever we are right now in this exact moment, I pray that this act of this play will remind us that you are seeking ways to respond to those prayers. And as we sing and respond, may we say, I'm Ruth. I'm Naomi. I'm Boaz. And here you say, I know. Let's walk together. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it.